From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. This is a spooky episode. I mean, that makes sense, right? We're in that time of year when both secular and spiritual calendars invite us to reflect on the supernatural, the unknown, those spirits at work in our lives in ways we can't quite put our finger on. We celebrate and remember our beloved dead, but first we masquerade as ghosts and goblins and, at least in my house, a variety of Disney princesses. For many of us, the more secular ghost stories that Halloween represents, hauntings and the like, are kept separate from our belief in heaven and the afterlife, all that All Saints and All Souls Day point to. But for our guest today, Gary Jansen, director for new products and acquisitions at Loyola Press and author of the book, Holy Ghosts, or How a Not-So-Good Catholic Boy Became a Believer in Things That Go Bump in the Night, ghosts, spirits, souls, and the afterlife all come together in his own story and his own faith. A number of years ago, he found himself living in a real haunted house. He writes about it in his book, and he shares some reflections on the matter with us today. In the end, what Gary really drives home is that any supernatural occurrences ultimately serve to lift our gaze upward at the supernatural world in general. In that world, we encounter angels and demons, miracles and hidden whispers, and ultimately, we come closer to God as we delve more deeply into the mysteries of our faith. If you're interested in checking out Gary's book or learning more about Gary's other works in general, including an excellent new children's book, Remember Us With Smiles, click on the links in the show notes. Now, here's Gary Jansen. Gary Jansen, welcome back to AMDG. We're so glad to have you with us. Eric, good morning. Good to see you again, buddy. Yeah, always a pleasure. So um, we are in what I think the technical term is um, spooky season. And so seeing as, <laughs> seeing as it's, as, you know, as we're, as we're real close to Halloween, uh, and then we have All Saints and All Souls Day in these times when we, um, you know, celebrate those, those who have gone before us, um, we wanted to have you on because you've, um, you've written a whole book on, on ghosts. So I, I want, I want, I want you to share your reflections because I think you have some really, I know you have some really powerful reflections on both the supernatural, um, and ghosts and all the, these kind of, you know, spooky things, as well as how do we pair that with, um, our faith, our Catholic faith. And so let's let's yeah. just start by by defining our terms. When we say supernatural, what are we talking about? What makes up the supernatural world from your your knowledge and experience? Sure. I mean, there's I mean, it's a multi-layered definition, right? So when we talk supernatural within the church, we're really talking about those things that exclusively God, you know, can do that, uh, you know, um, the miraculous, right? Or being able to whatever is within God's jurisdiction, right? That's not that that's not within our jurisdiction. I would say right would be supernatural. Um, you have the miracles, right? You have the Eucharist, right? That's a supernatural event that happens. You have the resurrection, that's a supernatural event. So within our church, that's you know, those are some of some examples. You know, when I'm talking about the supernatural, a lot of times I'm I am looking toward that, but I'm also talking about angels and demons and ghosts. Um, all this stuff that I kind of like loved or came to love, like within the last like 10, 15 years and really interested because I feel like a lot of times the stories of well, ghosts and angels and demons, you know, they point to a higher reality. And sometimes I feel like even within our own church, we can get very materialistic, not necessarily that we're focusing on 
um, you know, material things like money or, or things like that. But that we sometimes forget that our religion is based on supernatural event, right? I mean, the resurrection is a supernatural event. When we go to mass every week, um, the, the Eucharist is a supernatural event. And I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to write Holy Ghost was one, it was a memoir about kind of a haunting that I experienced between 2007 and 2008. But also at the time, this is like 13 years ago, I guess, the, um, I felt like, you know, the church is kind of like losing in a very general way, was losing some of that. It was distancing itself from, from its supernatural origins, right? And its supernatural roots. Um, and so we look at, you know, something like the Eucharistic revival today, and we see it as, I think that was something that I was feeling, you know, 13 years ago, was that, wait a minute, people don't believe that this is a supernatural event when we have the Eucharist, right? People, they think it's a symbol, right? They don't think that there's really something special that's going on uh, when we're at Mass. And so this book blends, and it's my favorite book that I've ever written, it blends, you know, talk about God and the supernatural, but also like looks at things like ghosts and demons and uh, the basically the, the small supernatural history of religion and faith. So give us um, a sense of, um, again, like some of the experiences that you write about in that book that really got you into um, your know, personal experience of the supernatural. Yeah. So, you know, in 2007, the, uh, a few days after my wife miscarried, um, we started experiencing like strange events, like in the house. Uh, and, and this is a home we were living in for about six years. And the, and it was actually the home that I actually grew up in and like strange things had happened when I was a kid growing up in the house, but I had a, like a dad who was a materialist and like a mom who was like a visionary. Like she literally like could predict, she predicted things, right? She would be that person that we, that sometimes we have in families, right? Who knows when things are going to happen and it's just odd. And you kind of, I kind of wrote that all off. Uh, but in 2007, you know, after that kind of like traumatic time, weird things started happening in the house. We started seeing things. We started feeling things that we had never felt before in the house. Uh, there were strange electrical anomalies. Describe a sensation of feeling things because you write about it so vividly in this book and um and honestly like now like i'm like oh am i feeling ghosts like because like i'm like it's such, it's just a specific way you describe it that um I, I feel like i don't know listeners would have a good have a you know good sense yeah sure so you know the, the the event that really like kicked it off was the i went to my son's room to get a pair of socks right so my uh, my son was about um, four years old and he was with my wife downstairs. My wife is, you know, sad and she was just, you know, like holding him and his, he didn't have any socks on. And so I went upstairs to go get socks. So I walk into my son's room and it was dark and there was, you know, and, but I felt like there was something in the room, like someone was there. And every once in a while, you might have a feeling like you're being stared at or something like that. And that's what it felt like. Uh, but I'm looking around and I don't see anything and the house is still, except for my family down there. But as I turn to like walk out, this weird, and I, and I describe it like as if someone had like an electric glove that just like ran up my back. And 
it wasn't the chills and it wasn't like some kind of like I didn't step on an electrical wire, but it was just something so odd that I had never felt before in my entire life. And this thing was just like that, like running down my back. And I was like, what the heck was that? And I'm looking around and then I quickly, because I have ADHD, I quickly, you know, it went away and I quickly forgot about it. I went downstairs, gave my wife the socks and I probably never would have remembered it except when I went into his room the next day, it happened again. And then it continued to happen in that room. And then my son's like, car, you know, electric like cars would turn on and like in the middle of the night. And, and again, all of this stuff is kind of like, well, these are just weird, strange sensations. And that's just an anomaly. I'm sure there's something wrong with the batteries or something, but then things just started stacking and stacking and stacking. And we'd see these weird shadows and the uh yeah so things like that just started happening in the house and lasted for about a year so so what did you do i mean i have i have a list of things like weird things that have happened you know things that turn on in the night that shouldn't have turned on so what um without like spoiling the book obviously because we want folks to to read it but what right. was the um uh, the steps that you, you took like how, how do you begin to say something greater than me is happening here um and i need some answers yeah, so so I'm Catholic, and um, the uh, and as far as I knew, like growing up, like no one, well, people would talk about ghosts or, or stuff like that, but uh, it was always kind of like tongue in cheek, or you know, I didn't, I didn't like my mom would talk about these things in a very serious way, but when I went to school, like no one ever discussed anything like that. It was never talked at like Sunday school or in religion class. Um, but I'm a book guy, so I just started like reading. And so I started trying to see what did the church have to say about ghosts? Did the church have anything to say about ghosts? Uh, and I started reading just, you know, books from like scientists or, you know, I mean, or just, you know, maybe, you know, basically books from scientists saying that this stuff doesn't exist. Uh, but then reading a number of, you know, personal accounts of people who have, who encountered, you know, had these, like these strange encounters. And so you do a little bit of digging and then I realized that the church actually did acknowledge that ghosts exist, at least um like pre the catechism of 1992 because john harden wrote a catechism before we had the uh the 1992 catechism of the catholic church and so it's mentioned in there briefly but also in the modern catholic dictionary john harden also did that there's an entry for ghosts and what a ghost is uh then i found out that saint augustine like wrote about um what today you would call poltergeist activity in the 22nd book of city of god Right. And he's talking about like there's this house. Right. And things are flying around it. And it seems to be something upset there. And so this is written in the 400s. Right. With St. Augustine. And he is really describing like modern day like poltergeist activity. Uh, I learned later on that that's what it was like poltergeist activity. And then um, then there are other uh, there was an abbot in 1957 who wrote books on the occult. And so which had like a you know, which had, which was approved by the church. And so you start diving into these things and uh, they're not really written about all that much today, except when we talk about like demonology or like exorcism, but back in like the fifties and stuff, you know, there were a lot of like Catholics and Christians like writing about psychic activity. Uh, so all of a sudden this whole world, like just like, like exploded for me, like, wow, this stuff could be true. And then you start looking at what scientists say about psychic um, psychic abilities. And then most of them poo-poo it and say, oh, it doesn't exist. But if you look at like the, the writings of J.B. Ryan, who 
uh, was a professor, well, was, was someone who ran like a parapsychology uh, department at Duke University for many, many years. And he was a botanist and someone who was really, really well respected. He did thousands, if not tens of thousands of studies on precognition and essentially proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that precognition happens. And I think a lot of us experience precognition or the, the you know, we know something might happen. Um, precognition is, is like, uh, like sensing something's about to happen. Yeah, or... precog yeah, precognition would be like, you know what, I feel like my, my mom is going to call me. And then like 10 seconds later, your mom calls you. Right. Even though it's not, it's a total random, it seem, seemingly seems to be a random thing. Now, there's a lot of materialists that would just say, well, these are chance encounters and all that stuff. But J.B. Ryan um, really did all of these things. And if you ever saw Ghostbusters, you know, there's a yeah. there's a part in Ghostbusters where um, Bill Murray in the beginning has these cards. Right. And he's like, all right, what is this? Right. And she's like, it's a star, but it's really squiggly lines. Um, and he just he's just trying to get the girl. And she thinks she's psychic, the, uh, but those are actually Xena cards that J.B. Ryan created in order to do kind of these experiments. Uh, so there's quite a bit of like real parapsychology in like movies like Ghostbusters, at least that first one. Um, so anyway, that opened up a whole like world for me in terms of like, what does science say about this stuff? What does our faith say about it? And, and it was a conversation that at the time, a lot of people weren't having. So I wrote the book tell the experiences but also to kind of engage in that conversation yeah so so what did it do this experience do for you in your faith life in your relationship with god and your understanding of how god works um you know in in reality and in, in, in all that is what um because you were also in that moment in your life kind of going deeper into your own faith life right and obviously this was on the heels of heels of kind of a very traumatic uh, experience for your family so how did all these things come together so I've been on my like spiritual journey for well over like 20 years and, you know, reading the mystics like before all this stuff happened and, and really being interested in that, that mystical experience right before all this stuff happened, I was praying the most and meditating the most that I had ever done before in my entire life. Like really, I would get up early in the morning and spend like a full hour, an hour and a half sometimes just in meditation, in prayer. And, and this was something that I hypothesized before I started doing this, that we live in a chattering world. We live in a world where it's so noisy all the time that if God was speaking to us, we wouldn't be able to hear God because, well, there's so much noise going on, right? Um, but I, that was a point in my life where I had gotten so quiet and so still that I felt like my awareness had somehow changed and that looking back do these things happen to us as people more often than we would think is there an invisible world that influences us uh tries to communicate with us all the time but we're just so noisy all you know we're so noisy we have so much going on uh but it was in those deep moments where i felt really like sensitive to stuff and, you know, I have no answers on whether or not that had anything to do with it. My gut tells me that, yeah, it did. That, that because I had entered this like place of like stillness and was carrying it with me, I became much more sensitive to the things, to possibly the, the invisible world that surrounds us. And that includes like the world of angels, demons, and spirits. I love, uh, I think it was in the introduction or at least in one of the opening chapters of your book, you describe, um, 
you compare like the spiritual world around us to I think like just like the inner workings of the human body like it's all kind of going on um and if you really sit and sit in you know stillness as you're describing you can kind of get a sense of that but um but you really don't pay attention to that in your normal day and yet it's it's affecting how you live like whether or not you know your body is working as it should and I really I loved that parallel um because uh it just it just sounded right like they're you know that once you pay attention to something do you see it more do you experience and understand it more um or is it possible to just ignore this stuff all, all around so so obviously you got to a point where um these things were no longer uh able to be ignored um and so then so what what was the solution because you know this i know that your house had history to it and obviously um you know there's this you know you didn't want the electric shock going down your back you know all, all hours of the day so what um you know, I know people, folks think of like exorcisms, right? But what were the, how did you go about, um, you know, bringing peace to the spirits here at you or however you might say it? Yeah, you know, so the, uh, I want to just comment uh, first about the uh, the metaphor that you were alluding to in terms of uh, the invisible world, which was, I had had this one kind of experience where I woke up early in the morning and it was very dark and it was very quiet. Uh, and I became very conscious of like the inner workings of my body, meaning my heart, and that there was a heart beating below my chest and that there was a liver doing what it needed to do and kidneys that were, um, you know, uh, performing in a way that they needed to perform, a stomach that that was there. And it was really just inches away from the outside world, but it was so quiet. My body was so quiet. And most of the time, unless you like had a burrito or something, your body's pretty quiet, right? The uh, And so, right. you know, it's pretty still. And if you do like meditate or you get into deep prayer, you, you can start to hear your heartbeat. But for the most part, your body, which is like just like inches inside, doesn't make a sound. It's invisible, right? It's there and it's influencing you all the time. But it's kind of an invisible world because it's tucked inside. And so that made me think, well, Maybe there, maybe this invisible world of like, and we, and as a Catholic, you believe there is an invisible world, right? We believe in all that's visible and invisible. We believe in the angels. We believe in, in God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe in heaven, right? And these are all like intangible things that we can't necessarily see, but we believe in faith. Uh, but that kind of like really it was, but this, this experience, these experiences that were happening became like, they helped me, I guess, articulate and understand a little bit more about what's going on in a bigger way. It's kind of like when you enter, you know, if you can see something small, sometimes it helps you understand. Like if you look at the micro, it can help you understand the macro. And I felt like that's what was happening. And, you know, to answer your, your question about like, what did I do? Well, it was just a lot of research, right? And because I worked in publishing, there were people who, who had had interest in these sort of things and then suggested I talk to like different authors and different people. And at the time I was going through pastoral formation and uh, I was uh, discerning on whether or not to become a deacon. And, you know, I was still young at the time and, you know, and still had a young kid and it was something I felt I was really drawn to, but I really had to like make that decision on whether or not I should do that because it's a huge commitment, obviously. And uh, it would mean taking time away from my kids and my, uh, my, my wife. And, you know, but there was a, there was a big discerning process. And, you know, so I talked to a couple of priests about it. 
I don't go into great detail. There is a reason why I didn't like people have like come to me over the years and like, well, why did you go to a priest about this? And the thing is, I did. I kind of left it out of the book, and it wasn't in an intentional thing. It was literally, as you know, when you have to write a book, you have to get a book done in like X number of months, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had six months to actually write this book when I signed the contract. Wow! And so there are parts in there that I had to that. I put in and then I took out and I'm like, oh my God, this needs like more explanation. So you know what? I'll leave it out. And if we ever do a revision, I can go into it more. So I did. I talked to some priests and all that. And the um, some were helpful. Most were not because um, they were just either they kind of dismissed it or just felt like, you know, that's not something I understand. Uh, there were a couple of people who were, um, you know, had some ideas. And then the I, were, I reached out to this woman named Marianne Winkowski, who ended up being like the inspiration for this TV show, The Ghost Whisperer, that was on TV at the time, because someone knew in publishing was like, oh, just talk to her. So I spoke to her and um, she was able to kind of like reveal things about like my house and about things that were going on that she should not have like had any kind of like interest in. And, and so I was a little like weirded out by this because one it says like in leviticus thou shall not like consult mediums and thou shall not like talk to necromancers and all that stuff and you can't summon you know things and we weren't summoning anything i was just like talking and the uh but as someone who is interested in ignatian spirituality you know it started making me think well what is this thing called discernment of spirits you know mm. it's kind of explained like oh it's it's knowing what right from wrong Ignatius also talks about like the dark spirit and the good spirit, right? And so couldn't that also include like ghosts? Couldn't they be involved in here somehow? Maybe there's a whole spiritual realm that we don't really know about. And that special gift of the Holy Spirit, discernment of spirits, is something that that can help us understand what this invisible world is all about. So the um that helped me also get like deeper into Ignatian spirituality due to the experiences. So it was a lot of con consultation and then and I don't want to give away the last third of the book, but the uh, but the third of the book is how we kind of wrapped it all up. I do love I just get my promo for the book, but I loved um, some of the dialogue uh, that you had written between you and um, <laughs> and, and and this woman because I was just it was just such great like quick it was like such quick dialogue and and um, you know it, it's almost funny and yet you know just, you know very serious. Um, I think for folks listening, this can sound either very scary and upsetting or um, easy to dismiss. And I wonder how you uh, answer both of those um, kind of questions. Because I think I think there is, obviously, a, it's very possible to be, um, you know, just 100% materialist and just live in this world. What I can see is what I can see. Um, faith becomes, um, in some ways, you, uh, you, you kind of stop yourself from going too deep into the contemplative world because you're like, well, it's out there and whatever. I'll, you know, figure it out when I'm dead, I guess. Um, and in the meantime, I'm going to live in this world. Um, but it sounds like there's an invitation in, in what you're describing um, that, that's, that's risky, but, but that you can really sink much more deeply into um, the fullness of, of God's world. So the people who ask, like, is it like, you know, about the scary factor? It was scary, right? That, that year, um, there were ups and downs. Um, the more that I look at it in retrospect, the less scary I feel now about it because when I lived through it, um, but the uh, but also I think the thing that kept me through was just the curiosity, and I think that comes through in the book was that I was curious about this, and I was like, you know what? All right, maybe I'm kind of like going out on a limb here, but mm -hmm. I'm curious to see like what this is 
you know, what this could be. Um, so I think that curiosity, I know curiosity sometimes kills the cat, but I felt like it was, it helped me. It, it, I think it helped, it helped me at a time to feel more secure about my own faith. Again, these kind of like little supernatural events, seemingly supernatural. And I never come at the, at the end and say, you know, that this is, that this is absolutely supernatural or absolutely paranormal. What I come out is that I just relate like my experiences, right? And I leave the reader to kind of like say, ah, you know what, BS, or no, that was awesome. I've had similar experiences like that. And over the years, I've gotten responses like that. People like saying, oh, you're a liar. And then other people saying, I had the same exact or similar experiences. Um, and then for people who just kind of like dismiss it, the, uh, yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'm not asking anyone to kind of like believe. Uh, and a lot of people have dismissed it over the years. And, and like, and, but so there's really not a ton of like, there is some scientific experiments that have been done and, uh, and the results that we have that suggest that things like ESP exist. Uh, and again, coming back to J.B. Ryan, but also like more current people like Dean Radin at the Noetics Institute in, uh, on the West Coast. You know, there's a whole group of people, but they created the Noetics Institute, which was to look into psychic phenomena. So, but in terms of like ghosts and all that stuff, there's no scientific evidence. Things could be always altered, uh, you know, angelic encounters too. I mean, you know, and a lot of times the church will like poo-poo a lot of things too that they hear, you know, because they think people are delusional. But, you know, what we lack in like is like scientific evidence. We have in historical, we have abundant in historical evidence. There are stories that go back thousands of years of people having these encounters, these experiences, not just in the United, you know, not just in Europe, but in Asia and the United States, the, uh, obviously the United States was around 2000 years ago, but more recently, but the, uh, but we just have all of this wealth of historical experience and that counts for something, right? Um, so whatever it is, the, uh, which we're not hundred percent sure what it is, um, uh, people do have these experiences and it is an experiential you know, thing. Uh, if you haven't experienced it, if you haven't experienced the weirdness or the strange, you know, bumps that happen in the night, you, you might not believe it. The, uh, but there's plenty of people out there who have, and maybe it's overactive imaginations, or maybe we're misunderstanding like what we're actually experiencing. So for me, I leave the question open. And to this day too, I'll ask my wife, and I'm so glad I did write the book because I'll ask my wife, I'm like, did that really happen? She's like, no, it really did happen. <laughs> you know, I have to go back to her because sometimes I'm thinking, well, well am I just misremembering? She's like, no, that really happened. And, uh, did I write fiction so, or was this nonfiction? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and she's like, no, man, that happened. One of the one of the threads I want to pull on uh, a little bit more is just kind of uh, how, how this impacted your family life. You know, when you go through tough times, I think you... There's, there's, you're always kind of like on the razor's edge, right? And because it could go either way, it could either like, it could, things could fall apart or things could get stronger, right? So, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why a traumatic experience can be so traumatic because we don't know like where that will lead us, right? Sometimes, you know, someone could, um, someone could go through a miscarriage or a couple could go through a miscarriage and it brings them closer together. Um, other times it could really like tear them apart. And the, uh, so it was really fortunate that I think, you know, that event actually kind of drew us closer. And, and I think overall, 
I think the work that I do is always about trying to increase awareness. Because um, I think the more aware we are of the world and the people around us, the better the world can be. And I think that's what, you know, Jesus asked us to do, right? When he's talking about the Beatitudes or, you know, or just or trying to teach us when he teaches us about, you know, the rich man and Lazarus, which is kind of a ghost story. If you, if you go back and take a look at that, the, uh, and it's probably a story that influenced Charles Dickens when he's writing like the ultimate ghost story, right? The, a Christmas Carol. Um, and the, uh, but that, but that we have this, there, there are these, these times where the, the more that the more aware we are, I think the better the world is. And, and I think, you know, if you're going to mass, you know, it's supposed to increase your awareness. Um, when you, my son is going to be confirmed tomorrow, uh, that's about awareness and about increasing our awareness about what his life can be once he's confirmed in spirit. And, and so that's why prayer and meditation are so important and an ability to just be still. And because those prayer and meditation are tools, right? To help us get us to a place of greater awareness. And the more that we can become aware that God exists in all things, right? Which is a very Ignatian point. The uh, look for God everywhere, you know, seek God everywhere. Uh, Ignatius is saying, hey, increase your awareness. So I think the experiences help to increase my awareness, my wife's awareness. My son was a little too young to remember things. So he has like glimpses of things that he kind of like remembers when he was younger. Uh, but I think that, again, that small experience of the supernatural, I think, makes us more aware of the big S in the supernatural, meaning how God works in our, in, in our lives and to be really aware of that. I like that. Uh, last question. Um, as we approach All Souls Day, what, uh, what does this experience of um, supernatural mean for you? And perhaps what can it mean for all of us as we um, approach, again, kind of come out of spooky season and, and land in, in kind of a, uh, uh, you know, all saints, all souls and, and a time of gratitude? Yeah, you know, one of the things that always kind of like stayed with me when I read Scott Hahn's Lamb Supper was that even if it was just you and the priest, you know, at mass, the place would still be filled with angels, right? That the angels mm -hmm. all like it's this is this is the Lamb Supper world, and they're all called there. Uh, and I like to think that the souls of of the, the departed are with us as well, you know. And so, you know, we celebrate you know All Saints Day and then All Souls Day. And to really just be mindful that that our faith tells us that life goes on, right? And that there is something really, really special in this world. And how that world maybe communicates with this world, we have no idea for sure. Um, but that's all included in our faith. Again, coming back to the creed that we believe in all things visible and invisible. And that we know that at some point in the future, um, that we will be one, you know, with with God and seemingly with the people who we've lost or the people who have passed on, uh, how that works. No idea, but it'll be interesting, you know, <laughs> to find out when it happens. Yeah. So. Gary Jansen, thank you as always for uh, joining us on MDG. We hope you come back. Excellent. Thanks so much, Eric. Have a great one. Bye. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C., and occasionally in my basement. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Jordan Lasky, 
Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Beggy Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at Jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, connect with your local vocations promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>